0: very fine good evening to everybody out tonight it's a real pleasure and honor to be in your presence today this evening to worship our great god and father in heaven it's it's an honor to be here you've been kind enough to offer the pulpit to me to speak to you tonight and i appreciate that very much i appreciate the good folks here at lake street i've known you all a good long while and I love you dearly. I appreciate you all stand for the truth and the continued good work that you do in this community. And Kyle's already talked about how much he loves me. So I guess I can say that I like him pretty well, too. Uh, hold his hands up as he labors here with you guys. Holly's as well, uh, as they're doing, I'm sure, an excellent work here uh, with you guys. So uh, to God be the glory in all these things. In his commencement speech to Wellesley High School, class of 2012, English teacher David McCullough delivered some very sobering words. Here's what he said. He said, none of you are special. You are not special. You're not exceptional. He called the graduating students pampered. He called them cosseted, doted upon, helmeted, bubble wrapped, nudged, cajoled, fetted, and fawned over. He went on to say, contrary to what your soccer trophy suggests, your glowing seventh grade report card, despite every assurance of a certain corpulent purple dinosaur, that nice Mr. Rogers, and no matter how often your maternal cape crusader, that's mom, has swooped in to save you, you are nothing special. David McCullough said these things because kids today have been so pampered and so coddled that they have an attitude of entitlement. Mitt Romney, if you recall back a few years ago, was recorded in a private conversation during his bid for the presidency saying, There are 47%, you remember the 47%? He said, There's 47% who are dependent upon government, who believe that they are victims, who believe that the government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. Or take the story of the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company whose commercial flight had to be grounded uh, for engine problems and had to make an emergency landing, and everyone was deboarded from the plane, all shuttled to a ticket line, and all were told to line up to make arrangements. And and he walks right past 50 people in line and stepped up to the counter and began to blame the ticket agent for making him miss a very important meeting. And she very politely said, sir, please get in line, get back in line, and... We'll take care of this. He then shouted, young lady, do you know who I am? I could have your job with a simple phone call. Friends, we live in an entitlement society. High schoolers have to have designer fashions. College graduates are in debt up to their eyeballs, but they still go out and buy the largest flat screen because everybody else has one. The 30-somethings and the 40-somethings, well, they go out and take mortgages that they just can't afford because they deserve a larger house, and people facing retirement have lived very well beyond their means most times by overspending, and they've saved nothing for retirement but now face the choice of working until they're dead or subsiding on Social Security. You know, no matter your age or your income, Americans in general have a sense of entitlement, And the fact is that none of these people, no one came into the world with an attitude of entitlement. So slowly over time, something has taught that attitude. Many forces have played into that, and this attitude of entitlement has blossomed and grown. In our lesson tonight, I have been challenged to bring a lesson to you about entitlement and how a Christian faces these societal pressures and what we do about that and what the scriptures teach on that. Now, maybe you're thinking if you're a Bible student of any time, that's that's a little bit of a challenge. And I have worked on this lesson. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to investigate the prevailing attitude and consider its effects on us individually and then collectively as a society and then collectively as the body of Christ. So let's begin by establishing some terms for our study. If you'd like to take notes, this is where you might want to start writing some stuff down. We want to define entitlement. By the definition in the book, no, not the book, the, bio, uh, the, uh, the, the dictionary, entitlement is the fact of having a right to something. It's a pretty simple definition. That is to have the prerogative or claim based upon status, legal or otherwise. It's kind of like I give you a couple examples, like a homeowner. Take, take them for example. A homeowner is entitled to plant the flowers that he or she wants in front of her house, unless there's, of course, a, a property owner's restriction or something such as that in a neighborhood. But they're the owner, and they're entitled. They have the right to do what they want with their property. The scriptures teach us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want a biblical example of, of entitlement, uh, that a husband uh, or a wife is entitled to the physical relations that the marriage brings. And so there, there, there is this understanding of having the right to something based upon status. But my friends, this entitlement is substantiated by fact. It may even be legally binding, but that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. That's not the attitude that we're going to discuss. I want you to remember that. We're going to talk a little bit more about it towards the end. But what we're actually talking with, uh, talking about tonight is entitlement being, it's, it's the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. In fact, this belief is best described more as a sense of entitlement or an attitude of entitlement, not based on fact, not based on status, not based on any kind of legal obligations, but rather it's based upon the subjective feelings of the individual. I believe I'm entitled. And that's where this is what we're talking about this evening. I did a little research, I did a little digging, and the fact of the matter is this attitude has been around since the very beginning. Eve felt she had a right to eat the fruit. So obviously this goes all the way back to the beginning. But when we're talking in our lesson tonight about as it being a societal attitude, something that's very prevailing in our country, in our homes, and in our communities, when did this really take root and really start growing? Well, the best I could find out is, it started sometime in earnest after World War II. Uh, basically, when the United States came out of World War II, uh, the country experienced an unprecedented economic growth, uh, and, and the baby boomers experienced the highest standard of living of any generation up to that point throughout all of human history. The entire consumer market was focused towards them, uh, because of just the sheer numbers of the baby boomers, it was focused to them, catering to their every need, to their every want. And then what seemed to have happened, as I have looked at it, the boomers then passed this attitude onto their children as the promise of the American dream. The dream that says every American will get to have a good life. Every American will have a job they enjoy, a generous paycheck, affordable housing and transportation, and of course a secure retirement, and then an expectation that that standard of living would be the same or better for their children. And so that every generation expected to have the same or better than their parents. Now, not taking into account, of course, that it took decades of hard work for those parents to establish that standard, but it was just assumed. That's the American dream. I'm going to graduate high school, get a job, go to college, get a job, make money, have a big house, bigger than my mom and my dad. Now, I want you to understand something before I go much further. I'm not taking and laying all the blame for this attitude on the parents, not all. The fact of the matter is each individual adult uh, is responsible for their own attitudes and for their own actions, but the vast majority of the blame does seem to go to the parents and the lessons that they did or did not teach their children. Let me paint the picture for you very quickly. I've seen this happen many, many times. I believe, I'm sure, uh, I don't remember doing this. I wasn't the kind of parent that would do this. Probably stressed my kids out pretty bad. But you see parents making a delicious meal, a very healthy meal of a protein and a good green vegetable, and they set it on the table, and Johnny just doesn't like it. I don't eat that. I won't eat those vegetables. I'm just not going to do it so mom finally gets tired of hearing them scream and goes in and makes some easy mac and chicken nuggets. You've seen that happen. (laughs) Stephen smiled a little bit. That was funny. (laughs) You got to know Stephen, understand, that's his dream meal right there, Easy Mac and Chicken Nuggets. I didn't think about that. Sorry, buddy. You know, you you see this happen. You you, you see parents buying kids the latest tech toys, even even though they may cost 10 times as much as the toys that we had when we grew up. You see parents doing that all the time. Parents giving kids cell phones and, and catering into their demands for designer clothes and $150 tennis shoes. What about this? We hand out trophies to every single kid on the sports team now. No kid's a loser. Everybody gets their trophy. It doesn't matter that he scored 10 more points a game than everybody else, but they all get the same award. And what this does is it creates a sense of entitlement and attitude among children. Romeo Clayton suggests that there are indeed other factors beyond parents, but parents carry a lot of the responsibility. He says, what about the bankruptcy system? That forgives our debts if we find ourselves in a financial bind. What about a government that gives public assistance seemingly forever to individuals and families? What about medical care? The medical care anyone gets if they walk into an emergency room, even when they don't pay. What about organizations that give out food liberally and pass out food to the poor, but never really do anything to help the poor get out of the cycle of poverty? My friends... This is entitlement, and as Americans, we love them. You know, if we're poor, we deserve help from the government. If we're rich, we deserve a tax break. If we're workers, we deserve better fringe benefits. If we're bankers, we deserve a bailout. If we're a farmer, we deserve subsidies. And if we're a special interest group, we deserve a special hearing. It seems like today everyone wants an entitlement. It's like a growing disease and has detrimental effects. And that's what I want us to talk about tonight for our time together. What is the impact of a sense of entitlement, the attitude of entitlement on us individually and collectively as a country, as a community, and, of course, most importantly, as collectively as the body of Christ? And some of these are not going to be your typical gospel sermon points, but you can't get around some of these points that I'm going to bring up. The first one being one of the... uh, Oh, I forgot to push a button. There you go. That's the attitude. Someone feels that the world owes them something. The first impact of, an, of the attitude of entitlement, in my friends, is debt. That, that, that's just no way around that. Did you know that the average U.S. household that has a credit card has $15,956 of debt? That's the average number of U.S. household debt. Now think about that. Where does that come from? Well, you know, you work hard. You deserve to have nice things, right? So just just go out and charge it and just worry about paying for it later. My friends, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7, write this one down. If you've ever listened or read to any of Dave Ramsey's material, you've heard this verse or you've studied that borrowers are slaves to the lender. My friends, an attitude of entitlement means I deserve it whether I can pay for it or not, but that makes you a slave to those whom you're entitled to or or, are indebted to. And the fact of the matter is that that $15,000 of debt, the average interest rate's in the high teens. It's amazing. That's one of the impacts of entitlement. What about people getting their priorities confused? They just get mixed up, and they, and they, and they just... The, you know, what I mean is the priorities get muddied as we confuse what we want with what we really need. fact is, we have the highest standard of living in the world. You know, And what used to be a want, we now think... Is a need. If you want to turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 6, turn over there with me. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew chapter 6, he speaks about this type of attitude in several passages here. I'd like to start reading in verse 25. Notice what Jesus says along this idea of wants versus needs. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? All these things. There's what you need, but seek first. Here's what you should want. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. My friends, we have the highest standard, but friends, you got to understand what do we need versus what do we want? We need food, we need shelter, we need clothing, and you could even put in there we need education on some level. We need to know how to survive. Whether it's knowing how to fish to feed yourself or having a college degree to be able to teach others, whatever the case is. But here's what you got to understand God knows what you need. You know, he'll, He'll provide what you need. If you are His child and you're praying to Him according to His will and you're seeking first the kingdom of God, He already knows your needs and He'll provide that and not necessarily your wants. You need food and clothing, you don't need a Hummer, you don't need a flat screen. But in the end, one of the impacts of an attitude of entitlement is our priorities get confused. I need that flat screen. And you just can't survive without it. Another impact is dependence. This is actually a very detrimental uh, attitude. If parents uh, or a church uh, or even a, a government always bails us out, we become dependent on them and experience no no repercussions from our actions. And that happens when you just constantly get bailed out and saved and spared. Friends, the hard truth is everyone needs a little carpet burn on their face. Everybody needs at some point, preferably earlier in their life, when they set out to try to be independent, they need to fall flat on their face and have the strength to stand up and try again. Have you ever watched... A baby bird leave its nest. I did this just this past week, and it was very interesting. Right outside my office window, there's a little nest of these little gray birds. I don't know what they were, and I was sitting there one day. And I, was, I kept watching these birds fly back and forth, getting bugs and stuff. All of a sudden, this little ugly, nasty little bird flops out of, of, of the nest onto the arm of a, a lawn chair, and I showed the boys and and we watched it. And it just sat there. And I thought, what a stupid bird. That thing just fell out. There's cats walking around. But that bird was determined to leave its nest. And it was a painful process to watch. But I am going to tell you something. That bird was determined to go. And that parent flew by. It didn't feed it anymore. It had nothing to do with that. Bird was determined to leave. And that bird completed its task minus any interference from a cat. And it never returned to that state of dependence. One of the kids said, Dad, can we put it back in the nest? I'm like, no. This is what it's supposed to do. That's not the case in our country today. In fact... We have a name for the group of young adults between the ages of 25 and 35 who come back home to live with their moms and dads after failing their task at independence. They're actually called the boomerang generation now. They go out and they come back. I just think that's interesting. Now, I understand circumstances happen in life and there's transitions and there's, there's cases when you fall in hard times and, and maybe a temporary thing. Okay, I, I understand that. But there's actually people who, who are very happy moving back home and just living there. But what's so dangerous about that? Well, the fact is the danger of this type of dependence will infect the mind and it will infiltrate into our lives and affect our understanding of how we depend upon our Heavenly Father. The fact is if we put our dependence on another, we're not depending on Him. And sometimes we even learn to depend on ourselves too much. This type of dependence has an effect on healthy spiritual interdependence. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-6, through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Friends, our dependence is upon God, not on self, not on mom, not on dad, not on the government. It's on the Lord. A fourth impact is laziness. The Bible talks plenty about the dangers of this. Friends, to be lazy and unwilling to labor and sacrifice for anything in life is a sinful attitude. Paul says over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, he gave a command to the brethren there in Thessalonica, he says, even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall ye eat. You have no idea how many times I heard that growing up. That was repeated to me. Obviously, I worked enough, okay, because I, I ate enough, but my mom was constantly reminding me, if you don't work, you don't eat. Friends, we, you know, with this attitude of entitlement, we, we begin to think that we're owed in life. So we never strive for our own keep or financial independence. And when life isn't what we thought it should be, we end up just blaming others and never taking responsibility for our own life. That brings us to the next effect. It's blame, blaming others. The fact is, with a sense of entitlement, we we don't hold ourselves accountable. I hear people with a sense of entitlement, they're blaming immigrants for for keeping the wages low. Or we we, we blame the workers from India or China for taking these high-skilled jobs. Instead of just accepting the challenge and trying to ramp up our own efforts and take those jobs for ourselves and do it. I think it's so interesting. You see, people who have a sense of entitlement, and they're sitting there with a the little cardboard sign, and I'm not making fun of those folks, but they're sitting there saying, we'll work for food, I need food, feed me, and not further than 500 feet away, there's a store hiring for people to work. Why not walk over there and get a job if you're that hungry? Friends, laziness, perhaps that's their problem. Perhaps it's they're blaming society. Maybe too many American workers will call out for protection, thinking that they're the victims. My friends, there's a warning for the one who judges others and blames others. Over in Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Some of you accuse others of doing wrong, but there is no excuse for what you do. When you judge others, you condemn yourselves because you are guilty of doing the very same thing. But a sense of entitlement makes it really easy to blame somebody else for our problems and things that we think just aren't the way they ought to be. Another effect is the burden it causes on others. A sense of entitlement makes you a burden on others. I always thought about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Turn over there with me. We quoted from that passage just a few moments ago, but I actually want to read this with you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and look at verse 6. Paul says over here, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Friends, that's just a strong passage. He says here that, you know, we just didn't want to burden you. And so Paul makes it very clear that when we expect others to provide for us or to save us when things get hard, we become a burden to other people. You know, an act of kindness or an inclination to be kind is called benevolence. Showing a, an act of kindness to someone, that's benevolence. Friends, the state of relying on someone else is dependence. And my friends, for a child, for some of these babies sitting here today, uh, that's right, it's healthy. Before for an adult, it's, it's, it's an addiction. And many, many people with a sense of entitlement become addicted to being a burden to others. They don't worry about that. Living like this will affect our validity when we attempt to preach the gospel message and give our witness. The final effect I want us to think about before we move into the last part of our lesson is that an attitude of entitlement, it, 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 it basically... is a a failure to live out the example of our faith and the will of God. You know, Jesus worked and gave everything he had in life, not seeking to be served as some want, but to become a servant of others. You know, likewise, the apostles, they did the same, eventually giving their lives for the faith. Paul calls followers of Jesus to do the same. We are called today to serve. Friends, our work and our attitude is our witness. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, Let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers, listen, in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Friends, there's no room there for an attitude of entitlement. Clearly, an attitude of entitlement is destructive. So for the last few remaining minutes of our lesson tonight, here's what I want to ask. How can we individually... And collectively, how can we avoid an attitude of entitlement? Friends, the first thing I want to suggest to you is if you have an attitude of entitlement, you need to repent. You need to change. It's a destructive attitude. Over in James chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there with me and notice the first seven verses of James chapter 4. Let's read this together. James chapter 4, start in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from uh, among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and cover, uh, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now listen, he says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns uh, jealously? But he gives me more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Friends, the attitude of entitlement is a sinful attitude. The root meaning of the word sin is to miss the mark. And when we feel that the world owes us something, we become dependent on them to provide for us. James calls these types of attitudes, these types of people, adulterous generation, meaning that their dependence and their loyalty had been given to someone else beside God. Would you say that this is true of our country? You know, our money all says, in God we trust. It should now say in government we trust, or in others we trust, or in Medicare we trust, or Obamacare, whatever it might be. My friends, when we take our dependence from God and give it to someone else, which is an entitlement mentality, friends, we become adulterers. Is this true in your life? What about the church where you worship on a regular basis? My friends, more than that, when we have an entitlement attitude, we elevate ourselves above, well, we elevate ourselves above all God's children, Because when we feel entitled, we're basically starting to think more highly of ourselves than we should. James plainly identifies those demonstrating this attitude as being sinners, a sinful attitude. If we are such, then we are challenged to recognize who we are and what we have done. But also, the last little part there of verse 7, let's keep reading. It says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. What James here is saying, is, there. you know, obviously we need to repent but if once we recognize what we are doing, if we have this attitude in our lives, we need to seek forgiveness through actions of remorse. He tells the reader to draw close to God. This means to seek to live and walk differently. As God wants, not as the world wants or as you want, becoming free of an attitude of entitlement starts first with repentance. But it closely follows with humbling yourselves. If you'll turn over to Luke chapter 22, turn over here with me and notice what is said about being humble, humbling yourself. It's the exact opposite of entitlement. When you feel entitled, you raise yourself up above others because you deserve it. I have a feeling it's mine. I'm worthy of that. I'm entitled. But when you humble yourself, you make yourself lower or subservient to others. In Luke chapter 22, look at verse 24 with me, please. A dispute broke out here among the disciples, and they were saying which one of them should be considered the greatest. And so here's a fight. You can imagine the situation. Jesus was teaching, and his disciples who were following, they start arguing, who's the greatest? Am I the best? Am I the greatest? And Jesus begins to talk about how the Gentile kings like Caesar not only have authority over others, but lord it over them. Look at verse 25. And so they start this argument and Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. And so he starts to explain this situation that, that those who are, who are like Caesar, uh, you know, are, have their power expecting others to serve their every need, lording it over them. And doing so, what Jesus is doing here, he sets the culture's understanding of entitlement against the kingdom's requirement of servanthood with what he says in verse 26. Look what he says. But not so among you. On the contrary, here's the opposite of what he just said, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Jesus was always flipping things around. And when they accused the Christians in the first century of turning the world upside down, they were right. Jesus was flipping here and setting at opposition the world's understanding of entitlement versus the kingdom's requirement of being a servant. Jesus is going completely against the world's idea of what makes one successful. You know, that is one who is powerful and has others serve him and replaces it with the mindset of servanthood. Look what he says there in verse 27. Jesus says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. In the midst of these these disciples, Jesus, in the world's eyes, the one who has the most power is the one who's sitting back and reclining at the table and people are bringing him stuff. That's the one with power and influence. But in the kingdom of God, it is the one who serves others see the disciples were completely blind to the living and breathing example right before their eyes the most powerful the most entitled if you will jesus christ was the servant washing their feet and serving others my friends the one who sat on the throne of god and had angels singing his praises had had given up his entitlement to be served to be uh, uh, to be served and became a servant of all And friends, the disciples, all disciples of Christ are called to follow in his example. And the only way we can do that is if we follow in this example of being a servant and humbling ourselves. So that's the second way we can avoid an attitude of entitlement. First, we repent if that's a problem in our lives. Then we humble ourselves. And then we need to check our motives. We need to take a look at ourselves and and, and ask, why are we doing what we're doing? What's our motive in this? To be a servant means that you place the needs of others ahead of your own. That's what it means to serve. Now, here's what we normally do. When I say we normally, talking in generalities, normally we'll serve and help others as long as it's convenient, as long as it's something that falls within our little comfort zone, if it's not hard to do. I'm afraid that Christians forget that we are slaves. The scripture says we are servants of righteousness. It's not our option to serve others. But friends, a servant, a true servant has no choice in the matter of either the time or the task that's been assigned to him. For a servant is at the beck and call of the master. And friends, that should affect your motives. It does affect your motives if you're a true servant. Why? Because a true servant not only does exactly what is asked, but really only wants one thing, and that is to please the master. Over in Romans chapter six, turn with me and let's read this passage together. And Romans chapter six, I want you to notice verses seventeen through twenty three with me, please. Romans chapter six. Start at reading with me in verse seventeen. But God be thanked that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, this is a contrast. An attitude of entitlement places our desires ahead of everyone else, and our motives are incorrect. We are slaves. We must seek to serve the master and to please him in all that we do. Number four, be thankful. If we want to stop or even avoid a sense of entitlement, Be thankful in everything. Everything that we have must be looked at as a gift because it is a gift. Understanding this creates an awareness that the source of all good things is from God. Everything you have, it's a gift right down to the very air you're breathing right this second. To see everything good, every good thing that we have as a gift leads us to confront confront the, the reality of a giver and the source of all that is good, and that's God. James chapter 1, verse 16, very plainly says, do not be deceived my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Friends, gratitude is where we begin to experience God in a powerfully personal way. Thank you, saying thank you, is the simplest and one of the most powerful prayers a person can say. Just saying thank you. If you can say thank you, God, you can connect with God and begin to develop an intimate relationship with him because it demonstrates dependence upon him only. Do you realize that's what prayer really demonstrates? It's you going to God and say, God, thank you, because I know it came from you, and please, I need more blessing. It demonstrates our dependence upon him. People who are raised in our country may have a sense of entitlement simply because they have no idea how lucky they are. You know, a lot of you all know my mom. Uh, She's not here tonight. She's up helping Aaron and Ray. They're moving over to Illinois this weekend. And, and, And she spent some time right before she got married to my dad in the Peace Corps. She was in Western Africa over in the Ivory Coast. And after that experience, and once she had some kids of her own, her favorite line became, you should go live in Africa for a little while. And she'd say that about everything. When I was a little bit ungrateful about my food or what I had, you should go live in Africa for a little while. And you know what? I finally said, what do you mean? What's that about? And, of course, I didn't say it that way as a kid, but I said, you know, why do you say that? And she says, you know, I saw people there starving without anything, living in, in little, you know, sheet metal tin huts. She said, you know, be grateful and understand how blessed and how lucky you are to live in a country of plenty. My friends, you can't have an entitlement attitude and be grateful at the same time. Think about that for a second. You can't feel like you're owed and be thankful for what you've been given at the same time. Not truly. My friends, make it a daily ritual to give thanks for what you do have. Over in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, write it down if you like, over there Paul says, "In everything give thanks." For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is that you give thanks in everything. Not that you're entitled. Not that you're demanding. Not that you have a sense that I deserve. But rather that you give thanks in everything. And my friends, that includes being thankful for other people. Not just stuff, but for others. Entitlement can leave you constantly feeling angry and resentful or frustrated by others. If you believe that someone has wronged you or owes you something, and that person doesn't come through for you, you feel angry. You see this with people. You feel you've been ripped off and, and cheated out of what you rightly deserve. Friends, start by thanking everyone for their service. I was talking with Brother David Aiken, who preaches over in Frankfurt not too long ago, and he was talking about that's how you can really start to make a change in your life around you smile and say thank you to everybody you come in contact with for what they do. You know what that means? That means saying thank you to your mom and your dad if you still have the blessing to be able to speak to them. Or or saying thank you to your coworkers and even your boss, even if you don't like them or her. You say thank you to that janitor who empties the trash at your desk every afternoon or the clerk at the store who's running your stuff across the scanner when you visit. Or you say thank you to the person who just filled up your water glass at dinner. You say thank you to everyone you develop an appreciation for other people's work, for their contribution and their value as human beings, friends, that will help you to avoid a sense of entitlement. One of the things we need to understand, a little bit more on this and we'll move on. One of the things we need to understand is that there is nothing in the universe that states, I deserve to live a long, happy and successful life. Regardless of what Benjamin Franklin said, you know, certainly we have the, 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 the rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, you got to pursue it. you got to do something. But there's nothing that says you deserve it. And there is nothing in the Bible that says that if you follow Jesus, life will get easier. And you'll have the solution to all your problems and all your pains and all your sufferings. You're going to still have those trials and those tribulations. Friends, there's no such basis for claims like that in the scriptures. I mean, think about Jesus' life. Think about him. If anybody had the right to an easy life of entitlement and having everything brought to him, it was Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. Friends, life is not about happiness or things getting easier. It's about obedience on the journey of faith. Even when you have to lift up your cross and carry it, Friends, life is about obedience. The last point I'd like to make tonight on how to avoid a sense of entitlement is, is you've got to realize that everything that you have is on loan. We were talking about that on the way over here this evening with, with one of my, my boys, and I'd like to tell you a story. I came across this story, and I'd like to share it with you because I think it teaches this lesson perfectly. It's the story of a Jewish woman named Ruria. I think it's how you say her name. She and her husband, his name was Rabbi Mir. They had two sons who both died one Friday afternoon right before Sabbath. Now, according to Jewish law, my understanding is that you're not permitted to have a funeral on Sabbath or to even openly mourn. So, so there was nothing that they could do until after the Sabbath. So this lady had to make a decision. So she kept the information of their death to herself and allowed her husband to enjoy the day, worshiping God and observing uh, their customs. I mean, explaining where the boys were was the least of her challenges. Now, when Sabbath was over, this is how she broke the horrible news to her husband. She asked him a legal question. He was a teacher of the law, and she says, What is the proper course of action if one person borrows two jewels from another and then the original owner requests the return of the jewels? Her husband thought for a moment and replied with the obvious answer, that one is obliged to return the loan upon demand. And that's when she took her husband to where their two dead sons lay and said, God has requested that we return the loan of our two jewels. What a powerful lesson. I don't know if that's completely true, but it's still a powerful story, helping us to understand that everything we have is on loan, even your very life. Over in First Corinthians chapter 9, Uh, Excuse me, chapter 6, and verse 19, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. My friends, an attitude of entitlement is an ugly, destructive attitude that displeases God. It greatly impacts the lives of individuals and and, and our society as well. And, And even the church, you see this attitude infiltrating into the body of Christ. It's very much a disease of the heart, a disease of the mind, for which the remedy is found only in the word of God. My question is this, can we eradicate, as Christians, as the body of Christ, can we eradicate the attitude of entitlement in our society? I'm here to tell you today, the answer is no. Can't be done. Now, I'm not a cynic or anything like that. The fact of the matter is, I don't believe, it's possible, it's highly improbable that you can eradicate it completely from our society. But what can we do? Well, we can take a look in the mirror. We can examine ourselves. If we find it in our lives, we can stop focusing on ourselves and humble ourselves before God. This is the same remedy... If it's found within a local congregation of the Lord's people, you identify it, you recognize that problem, you repent, you turn away from God and uh, turn to God and you humble yourselves before Him. It's possessing the heart of a servant and leading by example. That's how you fix it. Now, at the beginning of the lesson, I told you to remember the definition of entitlement. If I were to ask right now, pop quiz, do you remember the definition of entitlement? Would you be able to pass? Because here's the thing entitlement is the fact, if you remember the definition, entitlement is the fact of having the right to something based upon status. You remember that definition? I want to tell you a secret. I am entitled. Now, I just sat here and told you it's, it's a sinful, destructive attitude. But listen to me, I'm entitled. And most of you sitting here tonight are entitled as well. And you're probably thinking, okay, you just... You just flipped it around. I don't know where you're going with this, Jim. Let me, let me read you something. It's on the screen here behind me. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and read with me verses 3 through 8 if you like, or you can just look here on the board. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. To himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, let me ask you, do you understand what this means? Do you understand what this is about? I underscored a little bit of that. My friends, what this passage is telling us, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be adopted to God as sons and daughters in Christ. And as such, as being adopted in as sons, you have the rights as sons and daughters in Christ. That is an entitlement based upon status. That is the healthy, proper type of entitlement. But that's not because of what you did or what you can do or who you are. It's simply by his good pleasure of his will. And if you think about this for a second, way back in the days of Abraham, Way on back in about Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with Abraham saying that any who were circumcised precisely as God instructed were considered members of the family of Abraham and as such were entitled to all the benefits therein. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul says, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says that Gentiles, that's you and me, you and me, we can now be circumcised spiritually in the blood of Jesus And if you're still a little bit cloudy on what I'm talking about, Paul explains over in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That's the spiritual. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Put all that together in your minds. What he's saying is, those who have been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, that's the circumcision of Christ, have the entitlement to the inheritance as adopted children of God in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a second. I'm entitled. Most of you all are entitled because you have been baptized into Christ. It's not because you're special. It's not because you did something by your good works or deeds, but because you humbled yourself in obedience and were baptized into Christ and have been adopted as sons, circumcised by the circumcision of Christ, spiritually not made with hands, and are now inheritors, joint inheritors, heirs to salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing when you stop and think about that for a second? It's not because you believe you're entitled, but it's because you know. I know. I have a right to salvation in Christ Jesus because I've been baptized into him. If you're not baptized, then you're not entitled. That's a really tragic thing to think about. So many good people out there believe that they're entitled to heaven. They're going to go to heaven. They're good people. They've not been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, having their sins washed away, circumcised not by hands but by Christ, and being raised to walk in newness of life, and now being adopted as sons. If you haven't done that, you're not entitled to salvation, not entitled to heaven. My friends, how about you? If you have not been baptized into the body of Christ, you have no hope of salvation. The scriptures teach it. That's not what I say. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter really what you think. It only matters what God says. God says that you be baptized for the remission of sins. Baptized, fully immersed into Christ. Then baptism saves us. And then at that point you now are joint heirs and have that entitlement to a home in heaven when this life is over. If you've not been baptized into Christ, we stand ready to help you tonight. All you must do is Confess that Jesus Christ, your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, turning away, repenting of your sins, whether that's an entitlement attitude or or, or something else, whatever is, it doesn't matter how horrible, how bad, just as you are, you can be washed clean, made a new child, adopted in Christ Jesus. And if that's your desire, all you have to do is come forward, express your desire to the men here. Water stands ready. You can be baptized into Christ this very night perhaps you have been baptized and you've, you, you, you've let yourself slip away and, and, and become weak and, and apathetic, you can fix that too. Simply pray, be restored to God. If you need the prayers and encouragement, we going to offer that too. All you have to do is want it. And if you want to be adopted as a son of God this very night, we stand ready to help you. If you'll just come forward as we stand and as we sing.